Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, good morning. How are all of you this morning? Good, good. Oh, you guys are lively. Good, good. We'll have some fun today. Hey, I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life, and uh, it's just such an honor and privilege to be before you this morning. And if you're a first-time guest with us this morning, we are just so excited that you're here, so thankful that you're here. Everything that has been done today, from the parking lot to the coffee to even this message, has been prepared with you in mind. And so we hope that you enjoy your experience with us today. Also, uh, if you've been coming for the past few weeks or for many, many years, you'll know that we're in a series called The Four T's of Generosity, The Four T's of Generosity. And uh, I have the opportunity today to tackle the third T, which is treasure. The first was time, and Pastor Mark talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about talent, uh, and then I, treasure falls to me today. So it's always interesting when I, as the executive pastor, have the opportunity to preach because it's usually always in some way about money, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we'll make him get up there and talk about this. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because, you know, I deal with the budget and uh, there's just some different things around that. Maybe because I'm good financially, I don't know what it is. But it seems to be that's that's my lot in life, and so I'm just going to wrap my arms around it. But, um, you know, there really is this assumption, I think, that if you're good with money, then, then you understand biblical generosity, right? You understand how to manage God's treasure. And, and I'm here to confess that that might not necessarily be true because all that I ever learned about treasure um, primarily comes from Saturday morning cartoons, all right? Most notably, my favorite cartoon, DuckTales. Yeah. Anybody watch DuckTales out there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've got the woo. Yeah. There we go. And so for those of you who haven't tuned in to this award-winning classic, uh, YouTube, you can go. I I watched a few episodes getting ready for the sermon today. But uh, if you haven't tuned into DuckTales, it's the story of Donald Duck's family. And that's a huge distinction because I can't stand Donald Duck. But it's the story of his uncle, Uncle Scrooge, and, and three nephews. And they go on all these different capers and adventures and whatnot. But I love Uncle Scrooge. Love Uncle Scrooge. He is probably in my top two or three all-time Saturday morning cartoon characters. And I love the guy because unlike all the other cartoon characters, he got stuff done. Right? Scrooge is like, we're going here, we're getting this, we're coming back, and that's what happened. Not only that, he was loaded. Right? Uncle, Uncle Scrooge had houses, he had mansions. And the coolest thing of all, Uncle Scrooge had a room full of money and gold coins and treasure, right? There he is. Yeah. And he would swim in this giant room of money. He actually had a diving board, like a springboard, and he would die. I don't know how that works with gold coins. But anyway, he would swim around in this room of money, and I thought, you know, when I'm big... I'm going to be like Scrooge McDuck, and I'm going to have treasure, and this is going to be great. And so when I think of treasure, this is what comes to my mind. Now, 
this may or may not be a biblical example of generosity. <laughs> but I've learned a couple things since I was six, and to be honest, many of you know far more about this than I do, practically speaking. And here's how I know. Every week I have the opportunity to look at giving statements and whatnot, and you guys, every week, blow me away with your generosity. You blow me away with your generosity. I have buddies that work for other churches, friends that work in different ministries, and I can't brag about you guys enough when it comes to generosity. It's not, you aren't even in the same stratosphere as some other places that I've been. New life gives incredibly and unbelievably. And I brag about you every chance that I get because you are so generous and you understand what it means to manage God's treasure for His glory. Let me share a couple of stats with you. In 2017 at New Life, I don't know if any of you know this, but in our sharing fund, which is a, our general fund, we received over $1,288,000 this past year in 2017. Yeah! Woo! Our club fund, which is our building fund, we received over $380,000 this past year. Compassion Close to Home, which is the offering we take at Christmas Eve to help bless folks in our community, just over Christmas Eve, we received over $43,000. The good that we're going to be able to do with that. Total giving last year, all categories, $1,888,000. Unbelievable. Do you know what we were able to do with that money? Well, almost 270000 of it went to missions. It bought churches in Cuba. It helped... Uh, plant a vocational training center in Cambodia. It supported countless missionaries. It saw short-term teams go. And as a result of that, literally thousands of people who did not know Jesus at this time last year do today. Thousands of people who didn't know Jesus do today. Yeah. So when I talk about a generous church, this is a generous church, and I thank God for that because you're touching and impacting lives that you may never know, and you guys are so generous with that. You've unlocked what I really believe is a secret that most of us don't realize that's in the Scripture, and it's our take-home point today. And if you're new, the take-home point is the one point that I hope to seek to make today that we really hammer this home. And our take-home point is this. Treasure isn't the problem. It's all in where we keep it. Treasure isn't the problem. It's all in where we keep it. We're going to unpack that, but first, let's pray. Holy Father, as we bow before you today, I ask and pray that the thoughts and words that come from me would not be of you, not be of me, but of you. Father, that as we delve into your word, that you would speak to us. Father, that you would reveal your truth, that we'd be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, to your honor and to your glory. Amen. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, I would invite you to turn to our scripture today, which is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. It'll be on the screen as well. Luke 12, 13 to 34. And here's what it says. 
Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And this is my favorite part. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. From where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Interesting interaction in our passage today. Jesus, as often is the case, is in a crowd, and a man shouts up to him and says, Jesus, help me settle this family dispute about inheritance. Jesus, very pastoral move. No way, right? I'm not touching this one. Why? Because Jesus knows in that moment what's in the heart of that man. He knows that he's motivated by greed. And so he starts into this parable about a rich man, really a farmer, who plants a crop, and the crop, for some reason on this particular year, yields an abundant harvest, far more than anything that he'd ever received in the past. And what's he to do? So the man decides, I'm going to tear down all these barns, I'm going to build bigger ones, and I'm going to hoard it. Maybe he was like the ancient Scrooge McDuck. Maybe he's going to go swim around in pools of wheat. I don't know. But he had so much that he needed new barns to house it. And God gives us a warning in that, doesn't he? You see, the man was operating under two false assumptions. The first false assumption was this, that somehow he was responsible for the yield of the crop. He thought he was responsible. Right? He thought, well, I planted the seed, and it grew, so it's mine. I'm responsible for this. How arrogant. How arrogant. I grew up on a farm. I still don't know how a seed germinates. 
Like, I know what it does. I don't know how it does it. All I know is that, and that's not because I'm stupid about it. It's because there's a miracle that happens there where there's enough moisture and enough heat and enough soil that this thing comes to life. I have no control over that. Especially the fact, not to mention the fact that, did he have control over the rain? Did he have control over the sun? Could he control any of those things? No. Again, having grown up on a farm, we prayed almost every day for the weather. Well, we cut the hay. God, don't let it rain. Oh, God, we need the hay to grow. Let it rain. Oh, the peppers, are, you know, whatever. In an agricultural community, you are so closely tied to the weather. But he thought that it was his because he was responsible. He thought he was responsible for that. The second assumption was that not only was he responsible for this, but somehow in his whole logic, it was his to keep, right? So it's mine, I get to keep it because I'm responsible for it. And I'll be honest, I mean, I've done this myself. I worked hard, I put in the hours, I get the reward, this is mine. This is mine. It's mine, I get to hold on to this. But again, God says, oh really, this is yours, so tonight I'm going to take from you what you can't control, your life. Then let's see who gets your stuff. At this point, if I'm one of the disciples, my head has literally blown off my shoulders. I got a feel for these guys, and I don't know if you've ever kind of read the Scripture through the eyes of the disciples. It's well worth it. Because it seems like every other day, Jesus was saying or doing something that was totally contrary to what they would have believed in that time, in that place. See, ancient Jews, just like us today, had certain passages of Scripture that they really loved, and they kind of held those ones up. They had other passages of Scripture that they didn't like as much, and so they kind of ignored those. But one of the ones that they really liked was that if you were doing God's will, you received His favor and blessing. Their logic went something like this. Uh, I'm awesome, and I've done really good things for God, and so God's going to bless me abundantly, and I'm going to get herds and crops, which is riches in those days, and I'm going to get to keep that stuff so that I can do whatever I want. Sound familiar? Like, that's the guy that all the disciples wanted to be. He wasn't some sort of villain. He's a hero. And Jesus kills him at the end of the story. What? Why did you kill that guy? He was blessed. He did all the right things. Verse 21 actually records the answer. The man was not rich towards God. The man was not rich towards God. Jesus ends the parable with that phrase. And then, thankfully, he takes the disciples aside because they needed some help, and frankly, I think I do as well. What does it mean that he wasn't rich towards God? Jesus goes on in verse 22 to explain that we shouldn't worry really about anything when it comes to our physical needs, right? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about how you're going to be clothed. Don't worry about it. I had an opportunity while I was in college to take a couple counseling and psychology classes. They made me. And uh, anybody here ever taken a counseling and psychology class? Okay. The rest of you are blessed. 
they're, I guess they're great. I just, it wasn't me, right? I, I couldn't really wrap my head around some of the stuff. So, you know, in the counsel, one of the counseling and psychology classes, though, we learned about this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, right? And what Maslow states is, listen, in order for human beings to just even begin to survive, they need certain base things in their life. Food, water, clothing, shelter. If you can secure those things, then you can build upon that and realize your potential, right? But if you remove those things, then humanity is going to suffer and language, languish, and you cannot realize your potential, okay? So Maslow's argument is you need to secure that stuff first so that you can build upon it and do the great things that you're intended to do. Here's what Jesus says. Don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about any of it. If you're about my kingdom work, dad and I will take care of that. If you're about my kingdom work, we'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about the rest. If God cares enough to take care of birds, who does anyone care if a bird dies? You know, one, okay, <laughs> one, like you see a robin on the side of the road and you just fall to pieces, you know, and like, sure, the flowers are great, but they're destined for the bonfire. If God cares about that, how much more does he care about us, the very jewel of his creation? How much more does he care about us, the very jewel of his creation. If we seek God's kingdom, he takes care of the rest. How is that possible? How does that even work? Psalm 24.1 makes it very clear when it states, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Here's the deal. God owns it all anyway. It's all his. He just lets us have some of it. And so if we start out with the assumption that it's all his anyways then a lot of these things do begin to kind of sh shrink in significance as we go through our day-to-day. -day. Not only that, but God has seen fit to give us access to His kingdom. What does that mean? Well, what that basically means is this. We have the opportunity to receive from God blessings far beyond what we can begin to ask or imagine. God will sometimes just give us things or provide things or do things that we don't even understand. It's like we have a debit card and our name's on it, but it's really God's account. I keep waiting for my actual God debit card. I've prayed for it, um, yet to receive it, but I'm waiting for the God debit card to arrive. The spending limit is unbelievable. <laughs> but it's like we have that, but we forget about that, don't we? Because in our day-to-day, -day, gosh, it gets a little hard. A couple of months ago, many of you will be familiar with the story of, of the training center in Cambodia uh, that we had an opportunity to, to fund. And uh, we were aware when we were in Cambodia that they were trying to build some of these training centers. And Pastor Chris had the opportunity to prayer walk the property <clears throat> where the training center we funded now stands. And so he came back and we were talking about that. And at that point, we, we had no inclination that we were going to be the ones that were going to fund that. And so I started to pray. And I asked God 
to provide someone or some group of someones to provide the funding for this training center. And so I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for a couple of weeks at least, I'm not sure, um, but it was quite some time. And uh, one particular morning, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when you're in prayer, do you begin to daydream a little bit about like what God should do or he's going to do that day? according to what you think. And so I'm in the, you know, I'm very, very spiritual, you know, oh God, you know, provide. And I'm starting to daydream about my day and how I'm going to encounter someone that day, you know, like a rich businessman, someone who's independently wealthy, maybe a wise old widow, I don't know, something, someone who can shell out 121 grand without much issue. That's in my prayer. That's what I'm thinking through. God's going to do this. It's going to be awesome. And then this little, still, small voice cut into my prayer time and went, you, you pay for it. And I said, no. <laughs> it wasn't my proudest moment. That's where I was. So the next day, I came before God in prayer, and this little, still, small voice said, you pay for it. And again, I said, no. Now, I wish I could tell you that this didn't go on for like a week. It may or may not have. But that's not important. What's important is the fact that God eventually spoke to my heart and said, you need to talk to Chris about this. And so I went before him one morning. We have a meeting every week. And I said, Chris, you're gonna, these were my actual words. You're going to think I'm crazy, but I really believe new life is supposed to, to fund this building. And, you know, Chrissy's like, yeah, I knew that like six weeks ago. <laughs> you know, huh? Yeah, I was just waiting for someone else to confirm it. I'm like, oh, great, I have an ulcer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're good. And then we took it to the lead team, and they affirmed it. And you know, why did I have an ulcer? Well, we don't have $121,000 just lying around. That money was allocated for things. We're going to use it to get some speakers in here. When we put the balcony in, Brad explained to me how some different style, like a stack of speakers would, would help with the sound in here. We had some ideas for the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. We, we just didn't have that until we did. Until we did. And so we said, okay, we're not going to have, if you notice, these are the same. We're going to use these, Lord willing, in the new building. We don't know how that's going to happen. But God asked us to be generous, and so we did. Came with some sacrifice, but we did. And so now, where there was once a field, a building now stands. It'll be done in a month. Isn't that incredible? It'll be done in a month. Yeah. Not only that, thousands of kids are going to pass through that building, and they're going to learn what it means to be free from slavery in all walks of life, physically, spiritually, emotionally. I can't wait to go see that building, and I hope some of you come along with us because God provided that building. He called us to be generous, and we responded. There's some sacrifice, but that's what we're supposed to be about. You see, there's a little hidden thing and I hope you caught it as we read through our scripture this morning, that we oftentimes gloss over, but it's there, and it's this. Think of it this way. God owns everything. He gives blessings to us out of His abundance. What He asks is that we're as generous with His funds 
as he is with them himself. But this is the crazy part. When we give that away, there are blessings now and into eternity. There are blessings now and into eternity. It goes something like this. As we live generous lives, we actually hoard eternal wealth. We actually hoard eternal wealth. Look at verse 33. What does Jesus say? Make yourself purses that will not wear out. Store up for yourself treasure where? In heaven. Why? Because moths can't get it there, rust can't get it there, and someone isn't going to break in and steal it. When we are generous, we receive blessings. Some of them are internal. Like, it's awesome that that building's built. Some of them are external. Sometimes God gives us things, but they're always eternal. They're always eternal. And it doesn't make any sense to us as human beings walking around on this earth. It doesn't make sense because that's not how we view money. That's not how we view resource. You mean I give to get? Is there a motive behind that? What am I doing? It doesn't make sense. It actually kind of blows our minds. It should wreck our lives a little bit. And the reason for that, quite simply, is because we're used to operating in a human economy, not a heavenly and eternal one. We're so used to operating in a human economy that we're not used to operating in a heavenly and eternal one. If you want a really good idea of what this looks like practically, I can't recommend this little book here highly enough. This is The Treasure, Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And we've given this out a couple of times. And if you've never had a chance to pick it up, uh, you, you got to get it. And we're so convinced of that. There's actually some free copies at the Welcome Center. Uh, pick it up on your way out the door. But Alcorn really hammers this point home, ultimately that it's all God's. We use it to bless others. It's his resource. And really, when we are extremely generous, the treasure principle is we pay it on ahead. We're not living for the now. We're also living for the then. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we lived out of an idea, out of a principle where we fully understood that it's God's and we're to bless others with it, that we're to be generous, that in so doing, um, we have rewards now and into the future? Actually, I know that some of you do because I've seen it. I see it every week. I see your generosity, and I am humbled by that. I see that. But think of the kingdom impact we're able to have because of it. Think of the lives that are transformed. Think of what it looks like when our money doesn't own us, when our resource doesn't chain us. That's a freedom that, frankly, I'm still learning about and working through, but one that is just so, so rewarding. I realize that any time that we talk about money, we have folks on either end of the financial spectrum. We have folks that could build many barns. We have folks that probably don't have enough to live in one. And they're everywhere in between, and we're everywhere in between. And those all come with a unique set of challenges. If God has blessed you with great resource, that's awesome. But as Alcorn says so poignantly from time to time, it's not God doesn't bless us so we can raise our standard of living, but our standard of giving. Too much who has been given, much will be expected. And for those of us who don't have two nickels to run, rub together, I, I've been there. I've been in that spot. God still calls us to manage our resource well. And sometimes 
we're in that situation because of choices we've made. We didn't manage God's resources well. Maybe we hoarded. I don't know. Or sometimes things have happened that are outside of our control, and we're just in a place where that is a very, very hard thing. And I get that, and I understand that. But God still calls us to manage His resources His way. And there's a call to generosity in the midst of that. If you're in any of those positions and you're looking for a little bit of further guidance, um, there's a couple of things. Again, I would recommend the treasure principle very highly. I've also had the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to teach a class here at New Life called New Life University, Biblical Stewardship, Managing God's Time and Money. I came up with that title all by myself. So, and if you want to learn about a little bit of what we've been looking at, go online. Last week, we covered budgets, finance, the whole nine. It's all there. Look it up. Watch it. It's helpful. Tomorrow, Monday, in this very room, we're going to be talking about investments and savings and all that sort of stuff. Why? Because God wants us to manage his resource well. If that's a point where you're at in life, come on out. I don't care. Not this Monday, but next Monday, if you're in a stage of life where Social Security and estate planning and taxes and how to be generous in that stage of life, if you're there, we're talking about that next Monday. Why? Because God wants us to manage His resources well. Ultimately, at the end of the day, guys, though, I can't get away from this quote in Alcorn's book that I'll be honest with you, I read through it a year or two ago, and then I read through it a, a couple of weeks ago. I did not see this quote the first time I read it through. But when I read it through a couple of weeks ago, it hit me right between the eyes, and it's this. God, do you really expect less of me, who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history, than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? God, do you really expect less of me, who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history that he demanded of the poorest Israelite. Now, that's hard. That's a hard one. And it, it, it's real. It's real because it's true. And it's true because it ultimately points to the fact that as we go about managing God's finance, he cares a lot about that. And not only that, we are blessed by and large. And if God expected the poorest Israelite to give 10% of their stuff, of their best to him, how can we possibly deny him that based out of the context in which we live? Frankly, we can't. I mentioned some tools and some teaching and some training. And I'll be honest, those are helpful. Those are practical nuts and bolts. But the single greatest factor that has changed how I manage my finances is prayer. Is prayer. Every two weeks, I have the opportunity to receive a paycheck from New Life Christian Ministries. Thank you so much for that. And every two weeks, I sit down with my wife, and we look at what we're doing, and we pray, God, I'm not kidding, God, how would you have us use your finances today? How would you have us use your resources today? Show us where you want your money to go. Sometimes, it's just to pay bills. Sometimes it's to do stuff that I really want to say no to. Sometimes I have said no. I'm trying to get better at that. But that's the goal that as we pray, God shifts our hearts to be a generous people so that as we give generously of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our touch, not only do we receive the blessings of God here on earth, 
but we receive that in the future. When we give God of our best, He very much blesses the rest. And that's something to which I can testify because He's done it repeatedly over and over and over again. So as we go out this week, we'll have a number of opportunities to decide how we are to be generous. Money is a very practical thing. We touch it, most of us, every day in some form or another. If God is moving in your heart to, be, to consider being generous, I would ask that you would lift up the commitment with me today, which is this. I will be rich toward God and others this week. I will be rich toward God and others this week. Listen, being generous and thinking about how God wants us to use our resource is really an important topic. And it's one that I know that so many of you get. I can't thank you enough for your generosity. I can't thank you enough for what you've done for New Life and for the ministries that you've impacted, the lives that you have touched. What we've been able to do because of your resource is unbelievable. And I thank God for that. And I also thank God that someday we will all begin to see more fully what it looks like to be blessed here, but also in the great beyond. And so, I'm going to make a promise to all of you today, and it's this. When Jesus returns, and we're all kicking it, you know, in heaven, new heaven, new earth, all right, we all have enough. When we're living in those mansions, you know, that God talks about, I promise that I'm going to have all of you over to my mansion. You'll have a mansion too, so it's not ostentatious. We'll all have one. I'm going to have you over to my mansion for a barbecue to hang out, and there's going to be a big room full of money. We're all going to have one, and we're all going to go for a swim. <laughs> and in that moment, we'll bask in the goodness of God and thank Him for how He has blessed us. May we do so even today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and praise You for who You are, for what You've done. Father, as we consider what it means to be generous, it's my heartfelt prayer, Father, that you would move in our hearts, that you would move in our lives, that ultimately, Father, that we would trust you with the things that we need to, and Father, that we would put aside that which we do not. Father, may our lives be marked with generosity, especially as it comes to our treasure. We thank you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.